Hey, 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 welcome to part two of the Socially Distant Sports Bar for this week. Hope you are doing fine. Hope you are doing well. Hopefully, your Friday is looking good. That, that's that's what I hope for you. you. You've kind of, you've reached Friday. It's the end of the week. You're probably driving to work or walking or on the tube or on the bike. I don't know, however you decide to travel to work. Maybe you're running. I don't know, maybe you're power walking. I have no idea. But hopefully, your week so far has been a very good week. We would love it for you, before you listen to this week's episode, to click on the episode description and click on the British Podcast Awards section. What I have written in that section says, vote for us this year. We haven't won one of these yet, and we would like to. Yeah, 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 we would like to. It'd be cool. It'd be cool if we could. Who knows if we will or not. Please vote for us. Loads of times. Use all of your email addresses. If you go to www.britishpodcastawards.com slash voting, click on that. Then you search for the social distance sports bar. Then you click on that. Then it asks you to put your email address in. You do that. An email lands in your inbox and your email. You click on that to verify it. Simple. Not simple, but it's relatively simple. It'd be great if you could do that. It would really help us out with a bit of visibility. These awards themselves... I get it. They're not worth anything. I understand that. Still stick them on your CV. But intrinsically, it doesn't give you any satisfaction. Extrinsically, it puts the podcast out there to more people. So if if you're not the sort of person who can afford to subscribe and help fund us as a podcast, that's perfectly cool. Okay? If you listen to the adverts on this one, that'd be amazing. That gets us a few quid in. That's really, really cool. But if you could vote for us on this as well, it'll just put us in front of more people. If they see us on the top 10 list of podcasts at the British Podcast Awards, people sit up and take notice and we'll get a lot more listeners as a result of that. And that would be amazing if you could help us achieve that. Right, part two of this week's Socially Distant Sports Bar is waiting for you. Please listen and enjoy. This is a paid advert from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, we all carry around lots of different sort of stress moments, whether it's like big or small. It could be as huge as, how am I going to pay the mortgage this month? Or, you know, I'm I'm ill, but I don't really want to talk to anybody about that because I don't want to make them feel stressed about it as well. Or, you know, it could be just as, something as small as, how am I going to get to school pickup in time? I've got a meeting. How do I change that? How do I move that? I forgot to cancel that. And lots of the time we keep it bottled up. And whether it's big or small, it can really start to affect us negatively. And therapy is kind of a safe space to get those things off your chest. So whether it's like coming up with plans to, to organize your life a little bit better or whether it's just having someone to talk to about those things you don't want to stress out your mates or your family with. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable and entirely online. You will be matched with a the therapist after filling out a brief survey and you can switch therapists at any time. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash distant. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash distant. Right, 
Welcome to part two of this week's Socially Distant Sports Bar. Welcome to the documentary section. This is my choice. Mm. So I've gone for a series that's only, well, it's been out for a month or so now when you're listening to this. It's called The Dragon on My Shirt. It's a five-part series, but they're all quite short parts. So it's not going to, you know, impinge on your life to watch lots of them. And it's about the stories of black and Asian footballers who represented Wales. Hi, I'm Darren Chetty. I'm a teacher and a writer. I'm co-editor of the book Welsh Plural, which asks the question, What does it mean to imagine Welshness as both distinct and inclusive? In this series, we're going to tell the story of the black, Asian and racially minoritised footballers who've represented Wales over the years, starting right back in 1931 with Eddie Paris, the first black player to play for Wales, and tracing through the decades to the current national teams. I was blessed to be the vanguard. If I've help somebody pick up their boots to play as a black kid. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. Wendy was one of a small number of women of colour, along with Vanessa O'Brien and Aisha Martin, who were part of the generation of women in Wales, who worked as hard off the pitch as on it to gain the respect and recognition that women's football deserves. Fantastic times. So really football good. was a huge part of your life? Oh, football was, was my life. Wendy and Vanessa, they are the trailblazers and they are what I look up to be and hope that I, from a racially diverse background, can be the next them. Right here, I was one of these kids trying to integrate myself, you know, trying to make friends. This is the time that I become a footballer. We were trying to redefine what it means to be Welsh using football. Things have changed but very slowly and I think now within the last two years they've sort of kicked off and now they're moving quite quickly. We live in a world now that needs to be more tolerant than ever, should be more tolerant than ever and sometimes people can feel like the world isn't going that way but it is. So this is on the FAW's uh, own channel called uh, Red Wall Plus. Which is great, by the way. Yeah. There's so much good stuff on Red Wall Plus. And the kind of programmes that wouldn't be made by a TV channel because it's often so slightly niche interest. But if you're the kind of person who's going to sign up for Red Wall Plus, you're going to be interested in it. So there's, I, if, if you're a Welsh football fan, I recommend it because it's really, really good stuff. We'll just file this under Welsh Rugby Union, Mr. Trick again. <laughs> We've come up with our own streaming service. All the under-21s games are on there. We've come up with a way of finding all your archive and we're creating our own content. I watched a great one about Ian Rush and there's a great one about the Welsh team that got to the 76 European Championships quarter-final called the Forgotten Team. Mm. And they're all really, they're really, really well made. So it's, um, yeah, I recommend So it's a company called Eat Sleep Media. The Welsh government are involved in the funding of this project as well. Vicky Morton, is the director of the series. And the guy who presents it is a writer called uh, Darren Chetty, who's got his own sort of interesting story. I like the way he sort of phrased it at the start. He, he wrote chapters in a book called Welsh, brackets, plural. 
Which is really good. It is really good. I, I've got that book. And yeah. I, I really, I, I love the idea, the ideas of national identity, the ideas of ethnicity are always things that are fascinating me. So I was kind of in from the start on this one. Well, he's a Swansea boy, yeah. but if you look at his Twitter bio, he's a Welsh, Indian, South African, Dutch, London. Yeah. He's a what? Because he was born in Swansea, yeah. but he now lives in London. So his identity, he's a Welsh, Indian, South African, Dutch, Londoner. And I love that. There are many ways of being one thing. And sport by its very nature sort of defines you as one thing. You know, one sort of nationality, but that doesn't mean that that's how you have to feel or that's how you have to kind of be, I guess. So, so the series is split up really well because I thought it is kind of chronological, but it's not boringly chronological, if that makes sense. So the first episode is in the 30s, and it's about Eddie Paris, who... Oh, I'd never heard of. Exactly this point. So the first Welsh black player. What a handsome man he was as well. Yeah. He yeah. looked like a young Harry Belafonte, didn't he? Well, I think George Berry always gets sort of named as the first Welsh black player. And certainly yes. I, I've done stuff in the past, mm. sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, early 2000s, where I've said that. So, yeah, yeah. But you know, this story is a fascinating one, partly because you're creating a TV experience where there's no footage. And that's always interesting as a start point when it's a sports yeah. stock. I mean, he's not even a huge amount of photographs of him because he, he only had one cap. And they sort of worked that out by, it was ju- just through the shirt, wasn't it? He said, well, this is not a club shirt. This must be this must be the Wales game. There was no title on it. Yeah. Just some archive photograph from 100 years ago. Yeah. Do you know what I found really heartening about this? Go on. Was on the whole, like I was thinking, they said there's no point pretending that Britain wasn't a, a racist country between the wars. And it, obviously, there's still racism now. Yeah. But my experience of the Welsh valleys when I was a kid, and I've talked before about Paul Robeson and the Proud Valley and, the, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Was that it was all about more about class and and than colour. Yeah. Right? I remember Mum saying that there was the family in the church in Merthyrvale there adopted a black daughter. In the in the in the mum was born in the forties okay. in the forties just after the war, yeah. And I'm saying that we would come back from school, sort of in the early fifties, mid fifties, and we and we would we would like try to peek into the garden to see her playing because we just like you yeah, actually, we had yeah. no TV and we'd never seen a black person. Yes. But that 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 girl was treated no differently. Yes, and there's a bit there where they talk about Eddie when he came home and this like hero's welcome. Yeah, it was industrial. 1930s Wales, everyone was skint. You were, and you were just seen as like the hometown sort of hero. Mm. And then fast forwarding to the 70s, and he, did he, where, where did he grow George up? George Berry grew, grew up in Mountain Ash. Yes. And I, I, was, I was expecting him to say it, I had racism wherever I turned. And he said the opposite. Yeah, I was expecting yeah. that. He was just like, it was my street. It was my village. Fine. I never experienced it. You know, my dad never experienced it. I thought, well, bloody hell. Obviously, it goes on. We're not, seeing, I'm not, we're not some bloody utopia where that, that doesn't exist in Wales. Yeah. Because I think Darren had a tough time in Swansea. Yeah. That I read, read in between the lines. Yes. I think because it was such a, when when it was a industrial country, obviously we're post-industrial now. Yeah. But people just grafted and people came from all over the world to work on the docks and work in the steelworks and work in the coal mines and work in... Not so much in slate mines in North Wales, but in the South Wales, certainly. I think there was a real mix, and you were all in it together, and you did all work. And I think, I think when you when you're exposed to when you're exposed to different nationalities and beliefs and and, and creeds and colours every day, and it's just part of your everyday existence, 
they, they just then they become people. There's no mystery to it, is there? Martin Johns makes a very interesting point because you had certainly in Cardiff and in Newport as well because of the dock. You know, in big town and Tiger Bay and places like that, very very cosmopolitan, diverse, multicultural part of the city, and has been for since the 19th century. But big town and Tiger Bay in that part of Cardiff was talked about in hushed Oh, absolutely, and it, yeah. It, it, had a, it had a very bad reputation. So Martin makes the point, you know, was it better for Eddie Paris to grow up in Chepstow, where he's literally mm. the only yes. black person, than to grow up as a black person in an area where there's lots of black people, but you are prejudiced against because you were a black person from that area? Yes. And obviously Eddie's not alive to tell his story, but from what you can piece together from how he was treated in Chepstow at the time. Clearly, he would have been, you know, of course people would have said things mm. and he would have been treated differently because of the colour of his yes. skin. But he might have had an easier time than if he'd grown up in Bootown, for instance. Cardiff particularly, well, I'm sure everyone was the same, but Cardiff was still sort of very ghettoized during that period. So yeah. while you have got this melting pot of cultures, you've got Newtown, which is almost entirely Irish. So you've got all yes, these different yes. areas that are... You know, certain streets within Butte Town would be what would have been called West African in those days. Yeah, so, yeah. So you, you have got this melting Lots pot. Lots of Somali yeah. areas. Exactly, yeah, but they like, wouldn't yeah. mix necessarily or they wouldn't view each other in the same way, which is really interesting as well. Well, there were anti-Irish riots in Newtown. Yeah. I mean, Newtown doesn't really exist anymore. It's been from yeah. Well, Kelly's yeah. grandmother, so her, her, her nana Ben, Ben's named after that nan and granddad. That was their surname with the two ends. So she was a Newtown Irish, you know, Irish Catholic. Yeah, and then all that's been, where, if you know Cardiff at all, where the magic roundabout is now, around that sort of area there, was, was Newtown. Yeah, and where um, the Radisson Hotel is, and yeah. that kind of part of Cardiff, yeah. So there was a huge Irish influence. Yes. Very densely populated, all the terrace. Jim Driscoll was from Ellen. There was a lot of West African on that because the docks. Yeah. So we had a lot of West African, Somali, like you said, Somali, uh, Somalians. Yeah. Uh, I think Sierra Leoneans, mm -hmm. a lot of Maltese. Yeah. I think at one point that, that, that square mile of Butte Town was the most ethnically diverse square mile in the UK. Yeah, I think I've read that. More languages yes. spoken, like 68 languages or something yeah. within a square mile. And also because people work there, a lot of Yemeni as well. There's um there's a Yemeni saying, Norwegians. Uh, you've gone a bit Cardiff because if you're flash, because it means you've made money in Cardiff docks and you've gone back to Yemen and you're flashing the cash about. You're you're act you're being very Cardiff. Barry Jones, the Welsh boxer, was world champion. Uh, his granddad was from uh, Yemen. Mm. Yeah, and and I think they're also in. If you look at Cardiff as a city, that's where most of the Welsh speakers ended up. Okay. There was more Welsh spoken on it because there was work. Ah, right. And it was work that you would travel to do from rural areas. I never areas, thought of that. Well, I, I told you before, my dad was playing. He, he would work on the docks from the age of 16. Mm. His old man got him a job. Couldn't get him a job in Barry Dock. Got him a job in Cardiff Docks. Used to get the train in, you know, as a young man. Mm. But he ended up playing for kayaks who were like a quite a famous old docks rugby. Yeah. Guy. And he was the only, I think he was the only white bloke in the pack. Yeah. was my dad. You know, you're some sort of 17-year-old white hooker playing on an all-black pack, you know. And it, he said, because they were, they were just your mates that you work with and you hang around with. And you yeah. Didn't. yeah. Weird, isn't it? It's fascinating. But the idea of is living in Chepstow as the only black family better than being sort of mm. ghettoized and ostracized within a big city is really interesting. Well, curiously, the Welsh press, when they reported the one game he played in, never mentioned his skin. Yeah. Color. 
which is why George Berry got the credit for being the first black Welsh yeah. player because it just hadn't been mentioned in the 30s news reports. There's one of those classic sort of, um, I'm not sure who the cartoonist was, but he did loads in the Western Mail on the Echo back in the day. Always with the big heads and the tiny Yeah, 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 yeah. And when there's one of, when Eddie got his cap, apart from the shading, it's not a caricature at all. Yes. You know, the, and I, I was expecting to see something bloody horrific and it wasn't. Yeah, no, similar. Yeah. It was, you know, visibly him. Yeah. It wasn't just a black person. No, no, no. No, it, it, it looked like him. Yeah. But you're right. There was no sort of accentuation of features or whatever like that to make it look bad. I wonder why there was such a breakdown. I mean, that's the 30s. Like I said, so it was another 40 years before a black player played for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's mad, isn't it? Because my dad was, like I said, the docks in the 60s and the 50s was all was, was so many black and Asian and, and, mm. and immigrant families in there. There were so many talented black rugby union players yeah, in yeah, that true. part Absolutely. of Cardiff yeah. who never got to play rugby for Wales. And a lot of them went north. They also knew they could never make a living in rugby. You can make a living in football. Yeah, that's true. Yes, that's but true. But then you've still got hierarchies and you've still got people who make yeah. these decisions who, you know, if, if you think the rugby was... I'm going to say institutionally racist during that period, then, you know, there's every chance that lots of football selectors would have been as well. There's certainly yeah, the FAW, uh, not the FAW, sorry, the, the FA selected a player, I can't remember the era now. And then, oh, the English yeah, the FA. English FA, they selected a player, discovered that he was black. Yes. After, after he selected, selected him. him. They had to sure. apologise yeah. for it when a was year this? or so ago. Um, it, I can't remember the era. I'd have to look that up. But... This sort of thing was definitely thought of during yeah. selections. So, I think, you know, to, to not acknowledge that would be weird, I think. So, yeah, I think there is. And, and a lot of those Welsh rugby union players, the black players, wanted to play rugby union for their country, but knew they were never, A, they were never going to get selected by Cardiff and they were never going to get selected by Wales. And they just wanted to play. So they had jobs, but they ended up going north to play in uh, Yorkshire and Lancashire, where it was just where, where there were more avenues open to them. But with George Berry, I mean, I think he only got five caps, George Berry. He's now become a real icon of Welsh football. The picture of him in the Admiral tracksuit. Oh, fuck it. That's such a good photo. It is, isn't it? It's probably the coolest Welsh football photo of all time, apart from maybe Hal doing his Cruyff turn. I can't think of many... I can't think of many better Welsh football photos. He puts the... Well, we know the Admiral boys listen to this, right? Yes. Please, please, please. Because when they, when George, as a you know, who looks in fantastic nick for his age, when he yeah. puts like a modern take on the Admiral Welsh tracksuit on... The collars. But he hasn't got the collars. Can, can, lads, if you listen to this... And the badge is different. Yeah, the badge is different. Can you please, please, right. please make a so, proper retro Admiral tracksuit top and I will... Buy it immediately. Because people are making them anyway, so... and buy At them. risk of being that guy, right? Mm. Guys, the FAW listen to this as well. So right. I'll link you up. Well, right, I've, got, I've, got, I've got both your emails. If both of you yes. send me a message saying it's fine, I'll link you up. You from the FAW, you know who you are. And you from Admiral, you know who you are. I'll link you up on an email. It'll be fine. We can sort this. Well, if people from the FAW listen to yes. this... Can you get me tickets for Wimbledon? <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't want to go. You probably get invited. Send me the WIU, please. It's fucking tennis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, you, can you take over rugby as well? Thanks, guys. Can you take Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Do us a um, favour. Take over rugby. All uh, right, here you are. Uh, Jack Leslie. 
was awarded an honorary yes, English yes, cap I remember 98 this. years after being called up to the squad. Jesus. So he died in horrific. 1988. He was called up. Uh, he would have been the first black player to play for England. He was called up in 1925. He was deselected and denied uh, his appearance due to the colour of his skin after selectors discovered his heritage. Can you imagine that? There you go. So that that is what institutions were like. And that's not just sport. That's, you know, life yeah. as well. There's a great bit where George talks about coming down to play for Wales for the first time, meeting the squad. Yes. And just immediately fitting in. It's really interesting, with, that. With, with all the lads. Yeah. My favourite bit was when existing members of the squad who were already there said, so, you know, because he he's got a Blackpool accent. Yeah. Because he moved to Blackpool as a teenager. And they were like, So how so you know, what's your heritage oh, yeah, and how yeah. how are you eligible to play for Wales? And he went, Well, my mother's Welsh born and bred. She's from Mountain Ash. I grew up in Mountain Ash when I was a little kid, and I've also got relatives in Mertha and Bali. Yeah. Because those three are such right, you're tough in, yeah. places. Fine. <laughs> he, yeah. he said it's I got everyone's respect instantly. Yeah. And then it was fine. That story is really, really interesting. The story in episode three, I don't know if you guys got that far, but the story in episode three is about Wendy Riley. Again, oh, another yeah. player who I didn't know anywhere near enough. I, I'd never heard of Wendy. Yeah, this, That's awful, it's really it? bad. So Nathan Blake talks about Wendy sort of growing up in Ringland, sort of opposite him. And she'd be sort of playing in the little grass area. He's a good presenter, Nathan. We saw this Nathan's before. Wicked. Oh, he's great on He's this. a natural. And, and I really like the fact that they're not telling Nathan's story in this because I know Nathan's story. That they've gone, hmm. right, okay, you, you tell us a bit more about Wendy. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that because he's always like, well, she was the best one from our estate. Like, by a long way. George makes one really upsetting point. Go on. When he's on about, he said about the, a lot of the black players, because there, there weren't that many, even in the 70s, became almost like a sort of, a, you know, you looked out for each other. Yes. But he's marking Cyril Regis. Yes. And yes. instead of bloke is there, just giving him a dog's abuse of just fucking horrible racist uh, Insults from the from the touch. Yeah, he said, but I'm I'm stood next to Cyril Regis. Yeah, I said, you talking to me or talking to Cyril? He said, because as soon as you you know, and it's true that when you were wearing the shirt of the, your team, mm. they saw you as one of their players. Yes, yeah, yeah. When you're on the opposition, you were a black whatever you were. There's right? that great bit in Cracker, isn't there, where Christopher Eccleston's character they they go to this National Front meeting house and they've got a picture of the Man United squad on the wall. And he just rips it off the wall and just goes through all of the players and their origins. Yeah. Goes, you thick cunt. Mm. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, though, isn't it? That's brilliant. Ryan Giggs is mixed race. His grandfather's from Sierra Leone. Yeah. If you wanted any evidence at all about you know, what a fucking nonsense it is, it's just that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How can you? How, how do you suspend all that stuff? Because you, you know what will happen as well? When Sil Regis gets sold to go somewhere else, hey, he'll go back to being... Yeah, just a black player. You know. Yeah. I watched the final episode yesterday. And Neil Taylor's involved in that. And he's talking yeah. about sort of his involvement with various different campaigns down the years to get more Asian players involved in football. And Because there are so few. Well, this is, so this is the interesting bit. And he, he's got... It's a cultural thing, though. He's, he's got four or five really interesting bits where the first bit that I thought was fascinating was he just said, look, unless it's particularly relevant to what I'm talking about, I've stopped talking about racism within football, because it's not, it's the negative bit. And I'm trying to do the opposite of that. And I don't yeah. want that to constantly be the headline. The headline needs to be not scaring players off from playing because I've experienced racism. It's about how easy it is to be an Asian player and play football, rather than it being sort of 
yeah. a fear thing or something that your parents would worry about you getting involved in. I thought, oh, not having experienced that, never thought mm. about it that way. And uh, yeah. also he talks about, he was originally involved in a campaign sort of around grassroots football and getting more Asian players and more black players involved in grassroots football. And he said, we went through the percentages and the percentage of the population who were white and played football, the percentage of the population who were black and those who played football, the percentage of those who were exactly the same. So the percentages mm. at the start are exactly yeah. the same. He was like, the bit that's the problem is getting them to become professionals. And Neil's always spoken again, you know, about, as you were saying, about it being a cultural thing and about, you know, being first generation born in this country. A lot of those players have parents who don't necessarily want them to be a sports person mm. because, because of, you know, the journey they've been on and that not being seen as, you know, the next thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard uh, Amal Rajan being interviewed the other day and he was talking about how his dad had come over uh, from India and he'd go back to India and he was studying English at university and he'd be trying to explain to his Indian relatives, they'd say, well, what you study? You study medicine, you study law. He'd be like, I'm studying English. And they'd be like, you, you can already speak English. Why are you studying English? Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, it's the literature. They're like, well, you can read books. Why are you wasting your time? And just the differences in perception are absolutely fascinating. It's a great episode with Robert Ernst Shaw as well. Uh, that's, oh, I've only seen the first two. Uh, I've got to watch the other one. Dip into that one because that around ethnicity. So Rob was born in Zambia, lived in Malawi for a little bit and then moved to Kafili. And... It's a really interesting bit where they're talking. They're sat outside the river by the Millennium Stadium, just on the wall there. And they're talking about sort of his decisions of who to play for and whether he felt, I guess, more Welsh or more Zambian. And he said initially Bobby Gould asked him to play, you know, in a, I think it was a 21s qualifier maybe, to, to qualify him at that age, at that stage for Wales. And he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I feel. And then they ask him now, you know, what do you feel? He's like, well, I'm Welsh, but I'm also Zambian. And I love that yeah. sort of, it speaks to the sort of start point of the whole thing of you can be, there's not one way of being a thing. No, it's just fucking boring. You know, like what sort of music are you into? What, what, you know, what sort of films do you like? Well, don't, I don't know because I haven't, I haven't listened to all of them. I've seen all of them. I don't know. Yeah. What, what, are you Welsh? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm born in Wales. I love, I love watching Welsh play rugby. I, I love watching England play cricket. Yes. I love, I love the NFL. Yeah. My sister lives in America. My dad's born in England. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But that, yeah. that's what I like. I, don't, I, I think that hopefully, because I think there is a creeping one way of being Welsh that yeah, is coming bullshit, through. bullshit. I that think is. that's just my perception. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are multiple... Someone who supports England at cricket isn't any less Welsh and somebody no, who doesn't. or if I, I occasionally say British, and I get I, some people berate me for saying British. Yeah. Or I, I, I watch England play cricket. You know, why do you watch Wales play cricket? Oh, fuck yeah, it, but but that's okay <laughs> as well. So their their opinion on that is fine, and also yeah, my opinion fine. on that is fine. If I get exercise, yeah, and, and also sports, a really interesting bit of that as well. So you know, one of my students is a four hundred meter runner, and he runs for Wales and he runs for Great Britain. Am I any less invested in what he's doing when he's running at the Olympics? No, because no, of course not. You know, he's just a really nice lad who's really yeah. fast, and that, that because he's got a Union Jack on, there'll be some people who you know wouldn't want him to win a relay. George Berry, they're saying about they asked him about the anthem. Hmm. 
And they said they gave me the anthem. So bear in mind, he sort of spent a lot of his time growing up in Blackpool and he went, you know, he wouldn't have learned Welsh in school much in those days. No. They gave me two days to learn the anthem. Yeah. He said, I can't, I'm not going to learn yeah. it. I'll just have to lip sync it, you know. But that was an era where most people didn't sing the anthem It doesn't as well. make him yeah, less yeah. Welsh no. that he can't do that. It was also an era where they'd only just started playing the anthem. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. He'd have been at away games where God Save the Queen Where they played, played God Save yeah. the Queen. Yeah. i got to say, when I sent my kids to Welsh school, because my obviously little girl's leaving primary now, I was worried about the fact that we would be seen as not properly Welsh. Yeah. Because Kelly and I are Welsh learners and, and the kids are in Welsh school. Yeah. We've never experienced that. No, that's brilliant. That's really good. Oh, absolutely. And that's to the great credit of the school and the, and the parents there. They've never for, for a second made me feel bad about yeah. that. Yeah. I, I just love the idea that there are different ways of being something. There are different ways of being English. Yeah. Different ways of being Scottish. Many different ways of being Irish. I'm not going to get into that bloody hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so for Dublin. Exactly. Yeah, I'll save that for a gig over there. Bloody hell. But there are different ways of being Welsh, and I love that about this doc. Yeah, hundred percent. Also, you know, shout out to Eat Sleep Media because when I was growing up, I would have killed for this kind of content. Absolutely. And there's just so much of it, and it all looks great, and it's really, really professionally done. So yeah, there's there's stuff about Sophie Ingle, stuff about the journey to the World Cup, stuff about the Cardiff City ladies team. There's the Ian Rush one. There's one about Lee Trundle. Yeah, you could you can lose hours on the Red Bull Plus uh, website. So I um, highly recommend it. Right, it is book time to round things off on the socially distance sports bar this week. Mister Bubbins, what have you got? Well, I mentioned this the other week uh, that I was at the, the Cardiff Harlequins Rugby Club. Oh, yes. And uh, I borrowed a book from their library. Yes. This is a, a book about Jean-Pierre Reeve called Jean-Pierre Reeve, A Modern Corinthian by Peter Bills, which is a fascinating book because he is, if you don't know Jean-Pierre Reeve, one of my favourite rugby players from back in the 70s when, when France had a terrifying pack and just electric backs. And he was a flanker uh, and the captain of France. But just this big shock of blonde hair. Mm. Yeah. Just always, always going to be covered in blood, especially in that word, <laughs> France Awake. Yeah. That France Awake. Yes. Drenched in blood, big blonde mane of hair. Fabulous player, great leader. Drenched. Very quiet man. Well, when you read the book, like you realize he was, he was teetotal. Yeah. A fabulous host, you know, and they said that. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, just a fabulous host. Like if, if you had a party, Jean Pierre, even though he didn't, they said he, you, you read it, like he, he didn't drink alcohol at all. Yeah. And he would eat like for, he, he might have a, he might have some nice bread with some tomato. Lovely, right? He, he ate very frugally. Yeah, but when he went to his house, whenever he went with Jean Pierre, yeah, there nothing was too much trouble. Oh, there was champagne and there cool. was beer and there was Pernod and there was the best wines and the best cans. Yeah. Just can after can after can. Fags, cans, Fags. everything, crisps, horrible, <laughs> multi packs of crisps. We don't fucking about Maltesers, the boxes of chewits, chewits. You'd go around and there was just hundreds of packs of chewits. You could sleep on his sofa, not a problem. <laughs> You clear up the cans in the morning, get a big bin bag, walk around. Yeah. If he went for a piss in his house or, or, or a shit, there was toilet paper. <laughs> just a great host. <laughs> I would just, I'm really thinking, my God, imagine. And they were saying like, he was in with the shout in the 70s of being France's most recognised sports person. Yeah. More than any footballers, more than anybody else. So and he, would, he, would, he would basically own Paris. He'd walk into places and, 
The queues would part. He'd walk in. But reading through this, never comes across as a wanker. It wasn't about him. You want the, if you were in his company, you wanted to have the best time. There's a bit when I'm, I'm, I'll read a little bit that isn't this bit when he's on about taking Gareth Edwards back to the airport. Yeah, and they're just driving on 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 the sidewalk, uh, beeping the horn. You know, <laughs> he sounds like a menace. <laughs> no, he had a driver, but he could go where he liked because he was Jean Pierre Reeve. Well, all the pain in such a hurry to get Gareth. Yeah, oh, it's Fuck fucking mad that, that bit, mate. I'm like that in command then. And and then they stop. Oh, fucking Matt Damon. Uh, even though they're late for the, the plane. Just go down the stairs. But they're late ow, for the ow, plane ow, and they ow, stop. Because he wants to go out and get Gareth, More tins. you know, a box of the best wines and pâtés and best cheeses to take with him, you know. And just take some of the Heidi Gun back with you. <laughs> fags, fags for you. 200 <laughs> packets of fags. <laughs> Silk cut. <laughs> Le Pierre d'Or. Yeah. We French adore him. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, culling. <laughs> 48 cans then, of culling in a big slab. <laughs> we just got this bread. You got it French bread. <laughs> well, this is pain, pain français. Take it back with you. So these days, he's a he's a very well-respected artist and art dealer. And a, <laughs> that makes you know. him sound dodgy again. It's an art <laughs> dealer. He's very well-respected in, in, the, in the artistic world. Yeah. So I'm just going to read you a little bit of Chapter 9, A Charismatic Nature, right? Reeve the man, or Reeve the rugby player, tells only half the story. One can, without difficulty, categorise and analyse radically different aspects of his character. The rugby player, the man outside rugby, the gentleman, the whole enigmatic personality. Of course, the rugby image is the best known. The hair, very blonde, gave Reeve an image and a reputation. The blonde bombshell, the golden helmet, the beacon for others to follow. Those engaged in pictures of lyrical... Fuck off. I said helmet. Will you please? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Me and I both went on the golden helmet. <laughs> it is like trying to educate fucking monkeys. Just <laughs> imagine your nickname being the golden helmet. That's not his nickname. It's just an epithet, isn't it? Carry on. <laughs> I can't now. The hair, very blonde, gave Reeve an image and a reputation. The blonde bombshell, the golden helmet. It's fine. The beacon for others to follow. Yes. Those engaged in the business of lyrical sobriquets. Is that sobriquet? I've said that right, haven't I? I don't know. Just say helmet again. Say Fucking helmet. Oxford. Helmet. The business of golden helmets reaped a rich harvest. <laughs> but none of these images begin to tell the real of the, of the real man. None scratch the surface of his character. But with the reputation came fan letters by the shoal, the approaches from businessmen, the close attention of sports sponsors and promoters, not to mention writers. France as a country takes the sporting heroes extremely seriously. The value is extraordinary by the standards of other nations. The Reeve figure, polished and adaptive for public consumption, has been extensively documented. Mm. There is the easy adaptation to the sponsored events and the needs of the media men, the casual conversation with the celebrities. Reeve handles all with consummate ease, time for everyone in a sense. And yet it is a strictly regimented timetable which keeps him moving, preventing the crowd closing his escape hole. The word on the international celebrity circuit is sign the autographs, clasp the hands, keep the smile ready and willing, but in all three disciplines, maintain movement, lest the blockage becomes impassable. Reeve's involvement with the Perno has made public presentation an aspect of paramount importance. Reeve travels extensively, his easygoing nature impresses clients, likely to be in awe of this famous international sportsman. He's earned his reputation, but he enhances it with courteous manners and a pleasant bearing. So it just basically goes into the fact that even though, like I said, he was France's most recognised sportsman in a team that was fantastic team, Grand Slam winners, they beat the they beat the Welsh team, uh, that was probably one of the best Welsh teams of all time. He, he said that they they never really liked playing that Welsh side because it was just they were brutal affairs. But he comes across as 
so French that mm. he loves nice food and he loves looking after his his guest and he's got a sort of devil may care attitude to sort of authority. Um, I just it's a, it's a it's a it's a different time in it. It's a different time. He, he he's the sort of epitome of the of the amateur rugby player. Like they said, the, a modern Corinthian is the is the subtitle of it. Also known as the Golden Helmet, if you want to call it that. I'm amazed you didn't laugh at escape hole to me. I, mean, I, could see <laughs> I held it in. You were teaching that. Point, yeah, you? escape hole is just as funny in my mind. Well, your nickname's the Golden Helmet and Escape Hole. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it up. But as with all books that I like, mm. a cracking photo section as well. <laughs> all the best books have them. There's a great one. Oh, there's some great photographs in here, though. There's him skiing. He looks impossibly cool skiing. Mm. Just, just cool salopettes, big blonde hair. He's playing golf. He looks like he looks like a blonde Sevy, all in sort of navy blue. And oh, do you know what? Just the Europe, the continental Europeans have, which is different, especially like the French and the Italians and the Spanish, which which we don't have in the UK. Is this going to be racist? No, not at all. No, okay, go on. Just like carry on. Eating well and having nice food is not a class thing in France and Spain. Spot not on. at all. Yes, spot on. And also stuff like. Skiing is not a class mm. thing. Mm. It's but especially the food aspect. If you have a nice meal, no one goes, "You oh, fucking who do you think you are? You fucking white in France." And I think that's really sad. My French housemate wouldn't wouldn't eat our bread. Mm. You know, well, she wasn't being posh, but she she would buy fresh bread every day. Yeah, yeah, because she was French. What are you doing? Yeah. And we'd have like sun blessed would last us a week. Right? Yeah, yeah. When it when it went green, throw it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I threw out some green bread today. That's, that's, that's wise, <laughs> wise advice. Do you put new bread on top of the old bread in a bread bin? Because that's my that, that's my real problem. I do yeah. that all the time. Pitta bread seem to go off even quicker they do, than don't they. Normal leaven. This is the winter when seemingly it lasts for about nine months. <laughs> so anyway, I mean. Golden helmets aside, yes. that period of rugby in the 70s going into the very early 80s, I love that period of rugby anyway. I've always loved Jean-Pierre Reef. He was one of those, one of the few sort of standout foreign, in inverted commas, sports people that I can remember from being a kid. Yeah. Because he just looked so different. And that team of that French team looked like, I mean, they were, yeah, we talked yeah. about their pack. They were intimidating looking boys. And then he was this, you know, head banded, long blonde haired flanker in the middle of it all. Just loved him. So um, Peter Bills is Jean-Pierre Reeve, a modern Corinthian. Um, if you can get past the Golden Helmet stuff, he is a fantastic Reeve. That is you done for this week's Socially Distant Sports Bar. It is the end of this week's episode. It doesn't have to be the end of this week's episode, though. If you would like to subscribe and you have a pound a week plus VAT spare, then you can head over to patreon.com slash distantpod and you can subscribe to the podcast there and you will get an extra half hour of content every single week for a pound plus VAT per week. Only if you can afford it though, guys, okay? As much as we do the tongue-in-cheek thing, I assume it's tongue-in-cheek, I think it's tongue-in-cheek, as much as we do, you know, the, the push for subscribers, if you can't afford it, that's cool, don't do it, all right? But if you can afford it, it would be amazing to get your support. It just means the more subscribers we get, it means we can prioritize this as our main job. If we don't get more and more subscribers, then other paid work has got, you know, just naturally in life has got to take over. Okay, so for us to be able to focus on this full time or as much time as we can, let's put it that way, then 
the more subscribers we have on patreon.com slash distantpod or the more people who go to Spotify and search for the Social Distance Sports Bar Extra and subscribe there, the more we can prioritise this as a pod. We love doing it. We don't ever want to stop doing it. But everything's financial in life. Okay? Thank you very much for listening. We will talk to you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.